Hello and welcome back to From Tits to Toes. I am Dr. Michaela Rush, an OBGYN. And I am Dr. Ann Sharkey, a podiatrist. I am. I feel like my hello was kind of a Mrs. Doubtfire. Hello. I forgot all about that movie. That was a good one. Right? (laughs) I bet now, actually, now that you say that, Meredith would love that movie. Oh, yeah, we should totally. Yeah, I should introduce my kids to that one, too. That's a good one. That's a good one. Maybe that should be our project this week. We both have to introduce that show. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Well, all the the shenanigans that went on. Uh, Robin Williams, he was such a good actor. I know. We made them watch the old Jumanji and some of the old things, but I love when they watch a show like Ghostbusters and then they see the characters in another movie later and they're like, hey, that's Bankman from Ghostbusters or whatever. And I was like, teehee, I know. Like, I love how they're recognizing him and they're like, no, wait, that can't be that. That's, he's in Ghostbusters. I'm like, I know, honey, it's the same actors. Like, you have to know that they are in other shows. Oh, I suppose. Maybe they're like, no, they can't be in two things. They they don't, like, realize it's someone playing a character instead right. of just like a character. Yeah, they're an actor. And so they're in multiple things. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. How's your puppy doing? Uh, puppy is doing well. I no longer need an alarm clock. Let's go back. Okay. <laughs> no. What time is the uh, puppy waking you up in the morning? Oh, my gosh. This morning was 4 a.m., so that was, that was early. Sometimes we get a little bit longer, but, um, I mean, can't complain. No accidents in the kennel overnight, but there's no way. She's not going back to sleep after she's up at 4, so I've been getting a lot of things done at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Very efficient, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, you guys had your first uh, extreme flag football, right? We did. Yeah, Reeston had his first game this week for extreme flag football. He played really well. Um, The other team made one touchdown, and our team didn't make any, but we came close, so it was pretty close. I mean, it was a good game for the very first game. They they played well. Sure. Yeah, we had our we had our first soccer game this weekend, so it was the same. Uh, we also did not win, but they did Aww. score some goals. And um, oh, Meredith got they gave a little sportsmanship medal, and they gave it to her. They said she was a good listener this weekend, and so oh, that was sweet. she was very proud of her medal. They gave out medals on the first game. I think every game they they pick a sportsmanship quality. And um, so I probably they'll rotate through all the kids. So oh, I see. Yeah, this was just the first week and she got it. So that was, it was fun. We all enjoyed the soccer uh, game. It's probably similar to the game ball we had in baseball where the kids, you know, at the end of the game, they would give the game ball to somebody for something fantastic that they did or something great. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Similar oh, concept. Similar. It gives them something to be proud of. So. No, that's sweet. Yeah, but otherwise the weekend went fast and we're ready for the ready for the next week. Good. All right. So what was so who are you saying? Someone asked you a question about our podcast in the OR. Yeah. So I was I was working in the OR last week and some one of the staff members asked me, they're like, hey, it sounds like you guys have a lot of fun when you record this. Just, I have a serious question, and I was a little bit taken <laughs> aback. I was like, uh oh, what's this question gonna oh, be? Oh, yeah. And, um, and he asked, he said, do you, do you drink every time you record? Um, and yeah. I said, unfortunately, no. You know, most of us, most of the time, it's like a late in the <laughs> weeknight, or I mean, I'm in my closet right now. And, um, or we're in our call room or right, like, the call room. So unfortunately, no, most times we're just this fun. We don't need alcohol. I know. I think that's funny that, um, people think we're drinking during this and that's 
hilarious. Too, you know what? But... I actually, I actually took it as a really big compliment. I was like, that means you yeah. enjoy listening to this fun conversation, and um, <laughs> and if you were, it sounds like we're having fun. Yeah. yeah, it just sounds like we're having fun. But yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. um, alcohol would probably. Uh, put it over the edge a bit, but <laughs> yeah, maybe there would be more giggling. <laughs> I know we'd giggle way too much. I think we'd probably laugh the whole time. We might have to have one episode where we go somewhere or have like a happy hour somewhere, but I don't know if that yeah. would even be <laughs> something we could put on air. <laughs> maybe we'll have to do that. We've been thinking about doing an Instagram live where listeners could tune in, and um, so maybe we can make it like cocktails, cocktails and questions. Yeah, cocktails, cocktails and, questions. and questions. Yeah, there we go. Yes. Okay, we'll have to make that happen somewhere, yeah. somehow. Well, I was thinking of a, of a question um, mm-hmm. that we had gotten in. So what was your favorite subject in school? So I would probably, <laughs> I'm going to sound really nerdy. Um, and everyone always thinks science and stuff with me, but I would say math was probably. So in high school, math probably is was my best subject. Okay. But um, in college, organic chemistry. Oh my gosh! Yeah, mm. <laughs> I know. But let me tell you. Okay, let me let me defend my answer for organic. So because my favorite subject was math. So what I like about math is that it, there's always an answer. There's a way to get to the answer. Mm-hmm. It's very logical. And this plus this equals that. Or if you memorize the formulas, if you know how things work, and you know, there's always an answer. There's a discrete answer, right? A finite answer. Yeah. So organic chemistry, it was very similar. So there was no theoretical stuff going on. It was just, if you combine this chemical with this chemical, you always change these bonds in this way to make this chemical. And then if you combine that with this chemical, it's going to change the bond. So if you get a double bond or a single bond or add an you know, yeah. OH here or there. So it it's always, it's like a math problem. And it's the same, to me, it was similar to math. So it was easy to memorize those formulas. And to know, like, if you combine these two things, you get this every time. So if you have, like, an answer and you said, well, you started with this and then you ended with this, what did you put in the, like, what did you combine to get to this? So you just have to know, like, what kind of bonds you made or, you know, didn't make or, you know, broke up. So, yeah. So those are my favorite. Sounds very nerdy, but organic chemistry was my favorite. (laughs) Well, my mother was a math major, so I think I got it from my mother. She was a math major. Okay, yeah. I'm not, I'm not too far off in the nerdy scale, I don't think. I think in high school, I, I enjoyed all the, like, biology, AP biology, anatomy, and physiology, all those. Yeah. Um, but in college, I actually really liked – I took this um, physical chemistry course, and yeah. I really liked that. So we did a lot of experiments, and um, that's – it's just, like, the course I remember the most. Mm-hmm. What I did not like, physics. Mm-mm. Really? No, no, didn't enjoy like, physics. I was just not a fan of like history or English, like the ones where they were more theoretical or, or like, like creative based, right? Like write yeah. this paper based on your thoughts. And I was like, that's yeah. a big answer. I just like to give a real answer. I like real answers. So in like, I remember to this day questions in history where it was like, what is the theme of the 1950, you know, like, and so it was just kind of like, a theme, not like an actual answer. Like, what year did this thing happen? Sure. It wasn't a discrete answer, and, they, and it leaves it open ended. So then it leaves it open ended for me to like try to argue it later. And right. sometimes I get points back, and sometimes I don't. But they, in their mind, they're looking for a specific answer. But in my mind, I'm thinking of a different specific answer, which I still think is correct. Well, correct. If you're asking for a theme, that's open to interpretation. Yes. 
which is why it's a terrible question. So I always remember those questions that I miss. <laughs> We're the same. We're the same. I get it. Right? I get it. <laughs> All right. Well, this week we are going to be chatting all about heel pain and specifically plantar fasciitis. So this is something I see in the office every single day and I have this discussion many times of day. So I thought that we would share the information here on the podcast for our listeners. Yeah, I think it'll be a popular episode because I think so many people actually have problems with it. So I think it'll be a popular one. Why we had to title it, What the Heel. What the Heel. What the Heel. Here we go. (laughs) go. All right, everyone. So for today's episode, we're going to cover plantar fasciitis plantar fasciitis is heel pain and um just heel pain i thought it was the bottom of the foot yeah so it's plantar heel pain or pain on the bottom of the heel oh, so. i was picturing the whole foot no like the not arches. usually it can involve the central portion of the arch but vast majority is around oh. the bottom of the heel and um most come in just as labeled on the schedule heel pain some variant so this is ultra common usually, I don't know, anywhere from three to five patients per day are coming in with heel pain. So I think if I had to make a generalization, I don't know the exact statistics, but probably 85% of adults at some point in their life are going to experience an episode of plantar fasciitis. And officially, I think they say about 2 million people every year develop it. It's most, most common in individuals between age 40 and 60 no difference between women and men. So we're kind of, I think the easiest way is to just go through like, how does it present to clinic and how do we treat it? How do we evaluate it? So it usually starts just out of the blue. So most are going to say, you know what? One day I just woke up and I got out of bed and I had this excruciating pain and I hobbled to the bathroom. And then within 10 or 15 minutes of walking, it typically lessens in severity. But then if you sit down for any period of time, so say you get in your car and you drive to work or you sit at a desk for a number of hours and then you try to stand up, it happens again. The official term for that is post-static dyskinesia, so pain Mm. after sitting. Um, And I always pictured it like a flare-up after working out or something. So it can. It's really my favorite thing to chat about is it's so cyclical. So New Year's time, New Year's resolutions, people who haven't been working out real regularly, just like, I'm going to start running. And then Hmm. it'll flare. For even those who are really consistent with workouts, if you try something new or different. So maybe you are someone who runs completely on a treadmill and you transition to outdoor running, or you run flat on a treadmill and you transition to an incline, or you add like a CrossFit workout, that can aggravate it as well. So one of the big things I'm chatting with, patient comes in, they're in the room. Okay, you know, we say you have heel pain. We chat about where the heel pain is. We always get an x-ray, and the reason for the x-ray is you want to rule out a stress fracture of the heel, any bony tumor, and then we want to look at the biomechanics and the foot structure because it plays a role into why plantar fasciitis developed and then how we treat it. So once we get that far, you've come in, you're assessed, you've had your x-ray, we chat. And my first questions are, what changed in your life? So did you change job duties? Did you change shoes? Did you get a new exercise program? Have you gained or lost 
some weight. And those tend to be the most primary causes that we'll see. Mm. And um, so we kind of needle through that because I like to try to identify what the change was because it can help in treatment. And once we kind of figure that out, then we take a look at the x-rays and say, okay, well, what are your biomechanics look like? Plantar fasciitis isn't discriminatory. People with really flat feet can get it. People with really high arches can get it. But as I've treated it over the last nine years, I think that there's some fine differences in how you treat it based on foot structure and certain things that will work better in one foot type than the other. And we'll talk about that a little bit. So typically onset, it doesn't cause a great deal of swelling. Sometimes there will be a little bit on the bottom of the heel. There's no bruising, but it can be a really excruciating pain when you get out of bed in the morning. It could feel like stepping on something really super sharp, and it's in a pretty discreet location. Like at, a Lego in the... It could feel like a Lego. Like a Lego in the You carpet. know, actually, that's something that can onset it as well. Like if you happen to step on something really sharp just at the insertion of the plantar fascia, which I realized I didn't even say what that was. We should talk about it because that can cause it as well. So... What is the plantar fascia? Mm -hmm. The plantar fascia is not a ligament, not a muscle, not a tendon, but it's a tight band of tissue. Think of it as a bowstring that connects your heel bone to your toes. So it's really the plantar, I like to say the plantar strut of support of the foot. So if you imagine the bones of your arch are kind of the rigid beams and then the plantar fascia is on the bottom, it's that support. So it'd almost be like a triangle and the plantar fascia would be the base and the arches would make the point up to the point of the triangle. And we'll post some images of it, but that's what the plantar fascia is. And the inflammation or the plantar fasciitis of it is when it's response to this repetitive stress that will cause small micro tearing and that will cause inflammation around the area. There's been a lot of different treatment throughout the years. So you can kind of follow historically, people used to take x-rays and look and see if there was a heel spur. And I remember my grandparents talking about heel spur, like, oh, I had this heel spur surgery. And it was quite common for a long time. People would have symptoms of plantar fasciitis, you take an x-ray and most often we do find some kind of a heel spur, but they did a lot of heel spur surgery. And then there was a lot of patients who really just didn't get better. And so we don't, we don't cut heel spurs off anymore. They're, they're really, yeah. So it's a little projection of the bone that is happening in response to the plantar fascia being tight, but going in there and cutting off the spur isn't going to change the the structure of the biomechanics and and we'll kind of chat a little bit about what's changed in treatment but we go through this workup in the office of how do we how do we look at it so we say okay what are the symptoms of the pain and then things that were I would say a lot of it is ruling out stuff so I'm checking to make sure that there's not a nerve entrapment in the area that can mimic heel pain I'm checking to make sure there's not a stress fracture I'm checking to make sure there were not significant arthritis causing that pain and so a lot of our exam is focused on like what is it not? And then, okay, yeah, all these things do point towards plantar fasciitis. like a diagnosis of exclusion. Yeah, I mean, we can tell it without that, but I think sometimes similar symptoms can mimic it. And so it is important to say, well, this looks like plantar fasciitis, but let's also make sure we're not missing something else that could cause the same, cause the same symptoms. Nice and thorough. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that's part of it. and, And it goes along. So we go through the treatment and I always like to say, think of this as like a fork in the road. And there's two really important parts of the treatment. So on one side of the road, we have, what are we going to do to help you with your pain? And then the other side of the road is how do we manage the biomechanics and the tissues that are tied in causing this to happen? And really the biomechanical side is the most important. And if we focused on that alone, 
it would get better. It just doesn't get better fast enough for most people to be comfortable, which is why we bring in the pain relief side of things. So biomechanically, and we could get really super nerdy on this and I'll spare everyone (laughs) the details, but there's some people who are brilliant that have studied the relationship between tightness of the calf muscle and the Achilles tendon in relationship to plantar fasciitis. And that's called Aquinas. And most of us as adults have some form of Aquinas. Those with flatter feet tend to have a little bit more Aquinas than those with really high arches, but that can vary. And why, why does that matter, right? So if you're really tight in your calf or your Achilles, essentially it would be like wearing a high heel because mm-hmm. you put more pressure onto your toes. Well, naturally, our body wants to have this heel-toe walking pattern where you heel strike and your weight moves to the forefoot. Well, if you're striking more at your forefoot because your Achilles is really tight, then what's going to take up the force or the tension to get your heel to the ground? The plantar fascia. It's the only thing that can stretch on the bottom of your foot. Mm. So a lot of our efforts are like, you need to stretch. You need to stretch 10 to 15 minutes a day. And if you do that stretching over three months, we'll gain some appreciable length and your symptoms will get better. And I can't tell you how many eye rolls I get when people are sitting there and I'm like, well, you just need to stretch. I know. I almost did it to you now. Right? Really? Nobody wants to hear that. And I'm I'm my own worst enemy. (laughs) Like I, it's horrible. I don't want to stretch for 10, 10 or 15 minutes a day, but after you see, I see patients back and they're like, oh my gosh, I started stretching and it works. And yeah. it's like, it is. So it's such an important part of it that we didn't focus on even when I first came out into practice. We really were just like, okay, here's some steroid injections. Here's an anti-inflammatory, maybe, you know, some ice rolling, some physical therapy. But there wasn't a lot of emphasis on what you need to do every single day at home to treat the tightness here. Yeah. And that it will get better if you didn't do that but the thing is that it will get better temporarily and it's going to come back because you haven't corrected the biomechanics for it so that's by far and away the most important thing we spend a lot of time harping (laughs) on stretching and um lots of eye rolls and then i'm like pleading like please trust me this is gonna we're gonna get there so we're always talking about that we're talking about shoes when you have acute plantar fasciitis, you want to avoid being barefoot. You want to get something supportive on your shoe and help support that plantar fascia. Don't they have boots for that? Like, can you wear a boot? Like for... a stretching boot? No. Yeah, 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 I thought you could wear a boot for yeah, that. Yeah, like, some people it will wear it to, to it. a night splint. And that, there's a funniest meme, I have to find it. But they like call it the contraception splint or something because it's like <laughs> horrible and bulky and no one wants to wear that. So there's been some improvements on that. You know, we don't actually use a night splint a whole lot anymore because it wasn't as effective as stretching the Achilles tendon at some other splints that we have. Mm-hmm. So there's something fancy called the EQIQ splint that's kind of revolutionized my treatment of it in the office and you wear it for an hour a day and it, it gets a better stretch of the Achilles mm-hmm. tendon and the plantar fascia. So people didn't sleep well with the night splints on. They, The way you would kind of turn to sleep comfortably with it took the best stretch off of the Achilles, so it wasn't working very well. But yeah, there was there used to be. You can find all kinds of stuff on Amazon, like these like stretching socks. and Stretching um, socks. Oh yeah, it would be like yes. a knee-high sock that has this elastic strap that attaches to your foot, and it's supposed to hold your foot at 90 degrees, oh, but it's elastic. You're going to yeah. just push right through that. It's not going to work. Save your $20. Don't buy that. Um <laughs> So, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of different things. So I, I really like to, in this biomechanical side of things, I look at the foot structure and I say, well, what kind of shoes are best for your foot type? And we spend time educating on that. And I have lists of shoes based on like, you're flat footed, get these, you're high arch, get these. We talk about orthotics. Some people really do well with custom orthotics or even over the counter orthotics. So sometimes we use that. 
flip-flops at home. We'll talk about what shoes are better to wear at home than, um, than tenant. Most people don't want to wear shoes in their house. So I'm like, you know, I said, we really shouldn't be barefoot. What can you wear that you can just keep at home that's comfortable? So we spend some time talking about that. And then I'll use physical therapy occasionally. They have a lot of helpful modalities, ultrasound and um, manual techniques that can help to release some of that tightness. So that's mm-hmm. on that part of it. And then on the pain relief side of things, really it ends up being a discussion with the patient and myself. And you say, you know, like, well, let's see where your pain is at and here are the options. And it can be anything from using ice as a natural anti-inflammatory to Motrin or ibuprofen, steroid injections, which most people cringe and absolutely don't want, but we use it once in a while if we need to. Well, I would think that people would want it because it seems like it'd be more of an instant. It is, but it's um, it's painful, oh, yeah. right? No one wants to have a needle in their foot. And often, you know, if we really get behind it and say, if you start the stretching, you start to feel a lot better. And it's almost a false sense of better with a steroid injection because mm-hmm. they're going to give the injection. Yeah, you're going to feel magical for X number of days or weeks. You don't do the stretches. But you don't do the stretches because you feel good. <laughs> and then you come back in a month and then angry because it's back. Well, it's not really back. It was never really gone. It just was feeling yeah. better for a while. So those are the most common. I think the the statistic on how many get better without surgery is really, really good. Like very small percentage ever need any surgery. In fact, there's a large push to say never cut the plantar fascia because the plantar fascia is such a strong support of the arch. Now, that being said, there has been cases where patients have treated for six months, nine months, one year, two years, and they've just done everything. They've done the therapy. They've done the stretching. They've done the orthotics. They've done the injections, and they still have pain. And then we have a good discussion. We say, you know what, you know, in your case, potentially we need to cut the plantar fascia or a portion of it and you'll and they do feel better and so I never say never with surgery but it's not often and then people feel relieved to know that we're not often looking at surgery for that there's some adjunctive treatments that are coming out not all are covered by insurance but a lot of promising results that we've seen even with a select few we've been able to do amniotic injections on so injecting amnion and which is filled with growth factors Mm -hmm. and natural anti-inflammatory properties has in the studies an equivalent benefit to steroid injections in terms of pain relief but you get the healing benefit on the side of it it's just expect exceptionally expensive right now and not widely covered by insurance yeah um prp was another one that you would see come along i personally haven't seen as much benefit with prp alone i liked using the amniotic injections a little bit more define prp sure so prp is platelet rich plasma so what happens is your own blood is drawn and spun down in the office and then the um your platelets are drawn off the top of it and re-injected. And so platelets carry anti-inflammatory properties. I think some people have really good results with it. Unfortunately, just the patients that end up even considering that tend to be the ones who have had the condition for longer. The inflammation may be more chronic and they just haven't seen these stellar results that we had hoped for, especially since it is just a little bit less expensive than amniotic therapy or stem cell injections as people would commonly call it. So, you know, that kind of is the quick and dirty on plantar fasciitis and that's heel pain on the bottom of your foot, sometimes along the plantar fascia in the middle of the arch and more common. I mean, like I said, it can occur in any person tends to be more an adult. Now we will, we'll cover this in another episode, but 
I'll get appointments for kids and mm. it'll be listed as like, you know, I think they have plantar fasciitis and really we don't often see plantar fasciitis in kids. It tends to be more something after growth plates are closed. So if children have heel pain, it's usually an apophysitis or an inflammation of the growth plate in the heel, but the symptoms are really similar. The treatment is pretty similar as well, but I think mm. we'll cover that in another episode. Oh, yeah, so, for sure. um, yeah, that is, that is heel pain 101. Yeah, no, I, when it comes to the stretching thing, as a patient, I'm probably a terrible, mm-hmm. terrible patient because I would also do the eye roll and I would never do the stretching consistently on my own like I'm supposed mm-hmm. to. Um, but if you did have that device thing that you were yeah. saying, like I felt like if you gave me something, mm-hmm. it was like, use this for yeah. this amount of time, then I'm more likely to do it. Because in- I guarantee I wouldn't just like stretch yeah. on my own. Me either. Those who do yoga do really pretty well if they do a practice every day because like a downward dog is a great stretch mm-hmm. for that. But that's a frank discussion because you sit with the patient and often, you know, people are considering finances and money and what is deductible and how is this all covered. And say, well, if you're really dedicated and honest with yourself and you can stretch for 10 to 15 minutes a day and you can do it appropriately, you'll you'll get the results. But most people are mm-hmm. exactly the same. And they say, you know what? I'm just because you can sit and wear that brace and watch TV or read a book. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to walk in it. You don't have to sleep in it. The cumulative time is an hour a day. And um, it's just easier. Yeah. It's kind of brainless. You pop it on. Your foot's in the right position. You're getting the stretch. It's really pretty cool because it's calibrated. And so over three months, we can increase the range of motion about 20 degrees. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. And you see some, I mean, I just like, I tell patients, I'm like, I swear I'm not, like, I don't own this. I didn't invent it. I don't make money <laughs> off of this. But it is so good. And it works so well that it's my favorite. What is it called? It's called the EQIQ splint. It's just the abbreviation oh. for Aquinas and um, a podiatrist out of Indiana who uh, is really he's brilliant he worked on developing it oh, that's so cool. mm-hmm. yeah we'll have to put a picture of that on. Instagram. I will yeah I'll put a picture and a link to it um, anyone who's seen me in the office and had plantar fasciitis knows that I'm like rave about it and I'm like you you know if we can we get that going pretty quickly yeah so yeah cool all right now we all know all about plantar fasciitis yes ma'am All right, that's it for today. A riveting episode about plantar fasciitis. <laughs> I want to say, what the heel? Oh, like yeah. a very country uh, accent on that. Um, thanks again for tuning in. We have been loving all the feedback and the questions that we're getting, so just keep them coming. Don't forget, if you want to leave a voice message, just go to the link at the bottom of the description in the episode. You may even hear your question or comment in the show. And remember to subscribe so you'll be the first to know every time we release a new episode. We are super grateful for all the downloads, rates, and reviews. These help to drive our podcast up in the rankings, and it makes it easier for others to find us. Do you have an interesting idea or question that you want answered on the podcast? Send it to us at tits2toespodcast at gmail.com or message us on Instagram at fromtits2toes. And remember, keep your tits up and your toes down.